Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Public opinion on the one hand and what the political and media establishments think on the other, they're often on a collision course. None more so than the Israeli onslaught against Gaza. Now, in the latest Yugov poll, nearly two weeks ago, two-thirds of the UK population backed an immediate ceasefire based on Israel ceasing its military action versus 13% opposed. 66% supported a negotiated peace, and 45% thought Israel's entire post-October 7th onslaught was unjustified compared to 24% who thought justified. It further showed a steep increase in support for the Palestinian people. And more importantly, the polling way back in October had already showed overwhelming support for an immediate ceasefire. It had just solidified. But that's not been the position of the two main parties in Westminster. Far from it. The Conservative government, they've been arming and giving diplomatic support uh, to Israel. And Labour has offered political cover for the government, protecting them from public pressure, with Keir Starmer even early on supporting the war crime of cutting off water and energy to a civilian population. Now, the exception here has been the Scottish National Party, whose Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn, I'm about to speak to. The national leader and the First Minister of Scotland, Hamza Youssef, has backed a ceasefire and condemned collective punishment within days of all this beginning. And last week, the SNP brought a motion on one of the very few opposition days, three, allotted to the party each year, demanding an immediate ceasefire and condemning Israel for collective punishment. Labour then made clear it would refuse to back any motion accurately describing collective punishment, but fearing a huge rebellion within its own ranks, introduced its own amendment, which it could have done on its own frequent opposition days, 17 a year, a very wordy and verbose amendment, replacing immediate ceasefire with a more ambiguous immediate humanitarian ceasefire and stripping out reference to collective punishment. Now, according to parliamentary protocol, that shouldn't be called, but the Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, a former Labour MP, defied the advice of the Clerk of the House to overturn precedent with journalists reporting that Labour sources had boasted the Speaker had been blackmailed, that unless he did what he was told by them, then Labour would remove him from the chair when they inevitably win the election later this year. And Labour MPs allegedly were loudly boasting that Starmer had fixed the Speaker. What this then did was trash the SNP motion so it wouldn't be voted on, unlike the Labour amendment, even though it was an SNP opposition day. And as I say, they get three a year, unlike Labour 17. Now, after a huge backlash, the Speaker then solemnly promised he would let the SNP have another debate this, this week. Let's just hear what he said this week and then the SNP leader, Stephen Flynn, this week. I would say that we can have an SO24 to get an immediate debate it's my understanding, Mr Speaker, that SO24 application has not been accepted. The excuse given, the government had a statement on the issue. Incredible. So I start by asking Stephen Flynn his response to the Speaker's decision. Yeah, I mean, so I, we should probably go back like two weeks now because it was effectively two weeks ago that the SNP did something unusual uh, and we publicly outlined the fact that we wanted to hold an opposition day on having an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, recognising the collective punishment of the Palestinian people, and also, importantly, the, the release uh, of the hostages that Hamas still hold. Um, so we were very public and open about that. And then a week later, 
um, following a, a backroom chat um, in the back corridors of, of Westminster, Lindsay Hoyle decided that an SNP opposition day should in fact be turned into a Labour opposition day. Now, we only get three bites of the cherry every year. The Labour Party gets 17 uh, bites of, of the same cherry. So it's it was a little bit frustrating, to say the least. And I think uh, I think most folk who watched will understand why, why we were a little bit angry um, about the way that proceedings unfolded. The big part of that that was positive was we did manage to effectively change the Labour Party's position. They dragged their heels for months on even talking about a ceasefire. They eventually said an immediate ceasefire. So I was actually quite happy to vote for their amendment, but I also wanted the opportunity to vote on our motion, which, again, recognised the collective punishment of Palestinian people. Uh, Lindsay Hoyle, uh, through his own actions, meant that that was impossible. The Speaker of the House of Commons had broken the rules. And, you know, in his apology, he said to us quite clearly, you can have a debate and a vote. Um, in a time to come. So acting in good faith, listening to what he said in the chamber and generally what the speaker says um, goes. So we acted in good faith, put forward a, a motion for debate yesterday, which would have been on ending arms sales to, to Israel and indeed on making sure the UK votes for an immediate ceasefire at the United Nations. So we wanted to move the debate on from where it was into a better place, into those next steps. And having broken his word last week, uh, broken his um, the rules last week, Lindsay Hoyle chose this week to to break his word, and you know that's a pretty dangerous thing for any speaker to do because he's effectively lied to SNP MPs, he's lied to the entire chamber, but in doing so, he's lied to the population at large because we only hear to represent them. He's at the heart of our democracy, and he's quite clearly not fit for the role he's in. I mean, just on that, uh, la- last week Nicholas Watt, who's the BBC News. Uh, BBC Newsnight political correspondent reported that Labour sources had briefed that they told the Speaker that in the event of a Labour government, which is inevitable, essentially, he would lose his job unless he did what they said. I mean, that, many people just call that blackmail. And, and in, in the Times newspaper, it reported uh, Labour MPs yelling, uh, Keir Starmer's going to fix the Speaker. I mean, it doesn't sound subtle, uh, the fact that they, they would brief this and just shout this doesn't... It, suggests a certain amount of uh, impunity almost. But what do you make of that? I mean, that sounds like blackmail to most people. Yeah, I mean, so so what actually happened uh, last Wednesday um, was we were all ready for debate um, and the Labour Party started filibustering on stuff. I mean, Chris Bryant was boasting about the fact he was doing this uh, on Channel 4 just just the other night and laughing about the fact that he'd uh, effectively bent the rules. Now, he's perfectly entitled to bend those rules because the rules are there to be bent in, in many respects. But he shouldn't have done that when we were away to be discussing Gaza. The reason he'd done that was to facilitate time for Keir Starmer to nip into a wee room behind the back of the Speaker's chair, which is called the Reasons Room. And I have no doubt that that meeting happened. Um, there are numerous sources who confirm that. Everyone on the Westminster estate knew that this was happening. Um, that privilege wasn't afforded to me. It wasn't afforded to, to anyone else to have a quiet chat with, with the Speaker. Uh, and as I understand it, the clerks who obviously guide the Speaker's decisions were kicked out of the room for that discussion to happen with, uh, with Keir Starmer. So there's obviously been a conversation between the two which has led to Lindsay Hoyle changing his mind, breaking all parliamentary rules in order to, to satisfy the desires of, of the Labour Party. Now, that's, that's worrying to, to anyone. It should be worrying that the future Prime Minister is willing to, to effectively bully someone um, in, in that regard. And, you know, all the denials um, are to, to be expected, but I don't think anyone actually believes them. So do you think Lizzie, Lizzie Hoyle's position is just untenable? 
yesterday. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, you can't you can't change unilaterally change all the rules in Parliament to suit one political party, which is what he did. And in doing so, effectively say to the third largest party, which is Scottish Nationalists Party, that we don't matter. And, Mm. you know. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For those of us in the Scottish National Party, we're kind of sitting there going, so everything that, that we've been told about Westminster for generations, that this is it. This is what happens when you come up against the Westminster establishment. Um, and... You know, that's that's pretty disappointing. It's disheartening. And I think for folk, particularly watching um, in Scotland, they'll have seen the fact that we've managed to change the Labour Party's position to a certain degree, along with the public pressure that's been applied to them. They've seen the fact that we've been at the forefront of this. And just when things are getting to a next stage, Westminster's sought to, to close the doors and, and block us from taking things any further. Just before I finally ask where, where you're going to take this in the future, given this horror, unfortunately, has a long way to run, um, what do you make of the fact that in terms of collective punishment, that was a key part of your yeah. motion last week. Um, Robert Peston, uh, the ITV News, um, ITV political um, journalist, he said that Keir Starmer specifically, and he used the term hated that term. That was the big part of the motion that they objected to. What do you make of that? And also about the fact that Labour have said they've been calling for a ceasefire for a long time. <laughs> Obviously been having those conversations in private because I've certainly not been calling them for it. Um, publicly, I mean, I can recall uh, Keir Starmer being on LBC uh, trying to explain to everyone, oh, I answered, I answered the wrong question when he was uh, effectively condoning people being denied access to, to food and water and medicine and electricity and the ability to leave whilst being shot and bombed. Um, look, uh, I, I was on a, I was on Andrew Marr with David Lammy um, last week, and I got to see firsthand uh, David Lammy squirm under questioning uh, from Andrew Marr regarding collective punishment because the Labour Party don't want to talk about it. But that's what it is. How can it be anything? But if you are saying to someone who's been bombed, who's been shot at, who's been... People who are being killed under whilst walking under a white flag, children being mm. uh, found in the back of cars after having to phone charities for help, they're being denied... Those things are happening to them, but they're simultaneously being denied food and water and medicine and electricity and hospitals. And the ability to leave, that is collective punishment this couldn't be any more serious which is which is why yesterday we wanted to move things on we wanted to talk about those arms sales as well let's end that why are we still sending arms to uh one of the most advanced nations in the world advanced militaries on the planet whilst they're bombarding a civilian population and any politician who calls for an immediate ceasefire 
is doing so because they recognise the death toll, which is and the the punishment that's being inflicted on a civilian population. That is collective punishment. So you can't have one thing and not the other. Um, and that, we, we are very clear on that, and we have been since I was at this. So just very finally, where are you going to take this from now on? What's the kind of strategy? Because you're right, Labour have been forced to shift their position, though you could say the, I mean, you know, the US, etc., have shifted as well. But I suppose from the position of Israel, anyone who knows anything about the Israeli government knows that the only pressure that works is things like what you raised yesterday, the question of arms sales that are armed by Britain, by, by the US principally, but other European states as well. Diplomatic aid, Britain has a UN Security Council seat. Hand-wringing rhetoric doesn't make any difference. They can shrug that off. They do that over and over again. What matters is concrete pressure. So what's the sort of kind of, you know, because Labour haven't asked for that, have they? So what, what do you think comes next in terms of the SAB's position? Yeah, so, so that, that, was, that was effectively what we tried to do yesterday, was to, to ramp things up so that we would effectively have a meaningful vote to instruct the UK government to go to the United Nations and next time there's a vote on an immediate ceasefire to vote in favour of one. Um, and that's a tangible, real step that we could have taken. Obviously, the Speaker blocked that from happening. And that builds upon trying to stop arms sales to, to Israel. But like there's a, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but there was a, a quote from Jeremy Bowen in, in one of his books um, about the Middle East that, that I read um, some time ago now, where effectively he talks about two clocks that start um, as soon as Israel starts sending military conflict. One clock is for the military to undertake what it wants to do. And the other clock is is counting down the time before which diplomats effectively in the West say to Israel, enough is enough. Um, now, it appears to be that we're getting pretty close to that point, that that clock is uh, is a way to, to run out based upon some of the comments that we've seen from, from President Biden today. But why is it taking five months? Why is it taking 30,000 um, dead Palestinian civilians? Why is it taking 70,000 people being injured? Why is it taking... 300,000 people are, who are in the north of uh, Gaza who are living in what even the BBC described as feral conditions. Why is there 1.5 million people sheltering in Rafa, which is usually home to 175,000 people? Why is it taking 60% of the buildings to be damaged or destroyed or pretty much all of the agricultural land to be destroyed for the West to say enough is enough? Um, and that that is, that is so hard to take for all of us who tried to tried to be the voice of the voiceless in this, tried to genuinely push the debate forward and not let it slip onto the onto the, the top shelf, which is what Westminster would have liked to have happened for the last few months. They didn't want to be talking about um they didn't want to be talking about Gaza. We we've kept it on the agenda. I'm very proud of my colleagues for, for doing that. Uh, obviously we've been led expertly by Hamza Yusuf um in all of this given given the devastating situation his his own life's family faced. So you know we've we've we try to be as, as powerful an ally as we possibly can be for, for civilians who are losing their lives, and, and we'll continue to do that. Great stuff. And I think people can see Hamza Yusuf called condemned collective punishment very early on within days yeah. and called for a ceasefire then. Um, Stephen, really, really appreciate it. Thanks so, so much. And um, yeah, something to keep an eye on, certainly in the next few weeks and months. But thank you so yeah. much. Cheers, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Huge thanks to Stephen there. We've got lots of videos and interviews to come, including with other SNP politicians, but obviously we're going to be talking to experts, academics, Palestinian people, of course. Their voices have to be central. Israeli uh, voices for peace and a lot more. So do stay tuned. Press like, subscribe. Uh, keep the show on the road as ever. Patreon.com forward slash Jose84. Listen to us on podcast. I'll speak to you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.